0: Let's turn our attention to the book of Hebrews. We just finished up a series that we've entitled Good News, and we pick back up to the book of Hebrews, where we've been under the heading, Jesus, the greatest of all time. Now the reason why I have gone back to the book of Hebrews before the end of the year is the passage that is before us is such a great way to end a year like we've had, and to stop. And take stock of all that has transpired. And if we were to do it, we would recognize that 2020 hasn't been the best of years. In fact, in my 44 years of being on this earth, 2020's got to be one of the worst. And we're through it. Now, our problems, our troubles, our trials seemingly aren't done yet, but we've made it through another year by God's grace and His goodness. Amidst the difficulties and the struggles, we have been able to find ways to glorify God, to give thanks to God, and to serve God in ways that we never would have thought possible prior to all that's transpired with COVID and all the things that have come as a result of it. It's easy when we look at a year like 2020 to think that God missed it somewhere, to think that God has reneged on one of his promises that maybe god isn't as powerful as we once thought while i was getting ready for church this morning i i was watching a documentary yes a documentary on the song silent night and i'm not all the way through it but the first part of it was talking about the days surrounding silent night now silent night was written in augsburg um uh, Salzburg, Austria, I put the words wrong. Salzburg, Austria, and it was written during the year that was called the Dark Year. During that time, Europe was under a drought. There was a war going on and rumors of greater wars that were on the heels of that. People were struggling economically because of the drought that was taking place. There was a sickness that had impacted much of Eastern Europe. And it was not a time of a whole lot of fun and fellowship. And the writer of the song Silent Night felt like amidst all the turbulence, all of the difficulty, all of the trouble that had come, he wanted to write a song that would remind us that amidst such difficulties, we could find wholeness, we could find salvation in what transpired in that manger in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. And it dawned on me when the opening words of that song come about that it takes a special meaning when we put it to the backdrop of the year they were facing, silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. That wasn't the case. It wasn't silent when that song was written. Things weren't bright. It was the dark year. And there's something about the promises of God amidst difficulty and sorrow that allow the promises to be all that much brighter. The passage we're going to deal with today, and I'm not going to dig real deep into this. I want this to be just an encouragement to you. I want to continue to just reiterate over and over again the goodness of God in his promises. Because what we're going to learn today is that God has promises for his people. And those promises are to be a solace to our souls. It is to be balm for the hurts and pains that we have. But when trouble comes, when difficulties are all about us, we begin to forget those promises. We begin to think that God is unable to fulfill those promises. And we're going to learn in our passage today that God's promises stand true in the best of times And in the worst of times. And my gift to you in this new year is to be reminded of the promises of God of what he has for us. Now, what are those promises? Well, he's talked about these promises earlier in the text. So turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 6. Now, we were in Hebrews chapter 6 and we took our break at the end of November. And we ended with a really, really stern warning. A stern warning that people shouldn't walk away from the faith. They shouldn't give up. They shouldn't apostatize from Jesus Christ. But at the end of the passage that we looked at last time, in verse 9 of chapter 6, the writer says this, though we speak in this way, this stern warning, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things. We feel sure of better things. He goes on he says, these things that belong to salvation. You see, the world says the better things are what we got under the tree. The world says the better things are more money and, and all of the riches of the world. The world says better things are pleasure and all manner of other stuff. But the Bible says for the Christ follower, the better things surround themselves around our salvation. That is, our salvation transcends all of our trouble, all of the trials, all of the tribulation of life. Uh, To merge our two series together, good news and Jesus the greatest of all time. The reason why we always live in a perpetual state of good news, my friends, is because Jesus is the greatest of all time. No matter our trouble, no matter our difficulty, we always have good news, even amidst personal bad news, because we trust and believe and hope and have faith in Jesus, who is the greatest of all time, and who has promised us salvation and all of these things that pertain to salvation. But before we get there... I want to do something different that we don't normally do, and I always do it with a bit of fear and trepidation, and that is I'm going to let you talk in a moment, and what we're going to do is we're going to have uh, some gentlemen walk around with a microphone. We did this in the first service, and it was really a sweet time, because what I asked was, what are you hoping for of better things in 2021? 2021? What things are you hoping, believing, trusting God for? Now, I want to caution you. Again, what the Bible isn't saying are earthly things. So I want you to be careful with that. Um, that it's, it's not just, you know, Lord, give me this or give me that. To help you out, some of the things that were talked about in that first service, uh, the return of a prodigal son. And hearing a mom cry out, I, I want my see my son back. Another one said that, God would use COVID to grow the church and and change the church and make the church more like Jesus amidst all the difficulties. Still others uh, drew out the idea of, of trusting God in their personal circumstances and difficulties. What things, church, are you hoping for in this new year that you believe God has promised us and that you're believing and praying for. So let's just take a couple moments. I know we've got, where are the, my microphone guys at? We've got one over there. Do we have another one? And over there. So uh, if you want to just share something you're hoping for, believing for in the new year, raise your hand and we're going to let you just take a moment and share. Who would like to do this first? It always takes a minute. We have time. I don't need to preach this morning. Okay, down here in the front. Yeah, you've got to run. We're going to get you working already. Go ahead, Al.
1: Yes, uh, I have this past uh, year witnessed several times to a close friend of mine, and his response is that he's his own religion, and he thinks he's going to be all right in the end. And no matter what I've said with him, he says, uh, Al, I just don't believe it. I just don't believe it. So my prayer is that this year he'll believe.
0: Praise God. Yeah. That's great, what a great way to start who else like right there
1: uh, as well as uh al Gonnerman uh, that just mentioned uh of uh saving uh saving souls um, uh, I work with uh a uh, bunch of technicians at uh um, they're in need as well as I, uh, as uh, for salvation and uh, to uh, that God would show up and would be able to uh, would be able to would uh, change the hearts of those uh, that that don't see Him as God, uh, but uh, that God would work in their hearts and they would uh, they would come to the Lord and know that uh, know that Jesus is Lord. They would build a relationship with Him. And um, in in doing so, Lord would take him uh, take him into His uh, under His arm. Uh, that would be my uh, my hope and prayer uh, this year. Okay. I uh, I look forward to the. Uh, the I, I'm sure all of us look forward to that day and that second coming where our Lord and Savior will take us home, give us new bodies, and we would just glorify His name forever and ever. That was my hope and prayer. Okay.
0: Just as we're handing the mic to someone else real quick, that's powerful. Chris, you're going through a lot of trials right now, and to think that your focus is on other people and their relationship with Jesus Christ, praise God for Chris Branning. Amen. Yeah.
1: Uh, our hope is that um, as we uh, prepare to get into the, uh, the empty nester part of, of life here for uh, my wife and I, that he would just bless that season in our life, that he would draw us closer together, closer to him. And that uh, he would draw our two eldest back to him, uh, and for his glory.
0: Praise God! Yeah. Okay, if you're on this side, you should be feeling some awkwardness right now. <laughs> Just saying. Anyone else? Over here, up front. Hey, you think you were getting out of work? Aren't you glad that when we ask, God gives wisdom generously without finding fault? That's a promise that God gives. Praise God for that. Who, who can, just a show of hands, use some wisdom right now? Okay. What a, great, what a great reminder. Anyone else? We'll do one or two more. Right up here. Um, I've got you running all over the place.
1: Yeah, I'd like to see in 2021 a revival in our nation and most especially in our leadership and that we can come together in a loving, caring way and get rid of this corruption that we see.
0: Okay. Amen. One more. I'm looking. One more right over here.
1: my prayer for 2021 is that um, our marriage would continue to grow, um, that we would continue to glorify Jesus in our relationship, and uh, that our children would also grow closer to the Lord.
0: Amen. Amen. Let's take a moment and pray for these things, and then I want to encourage you on the things that were shared that God has got great things in store for us, if we will just remain faithful and true to what he has recorded in his scriptures about what he has for us. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you, and in this last Sunday of this year, we pause and we give thanks. We thank you, Lord, for sustaining us. We thank you, Lord, for watching out for us. Lord, this year has been unlike any year in in a long time. And it's caused us to slow down. It's caused us to uh, do life differently. And while at times we can murmur and complain about it, it's allowed us to do things that maybe we might not have done before. And so, Lord, I pray for these things and those that were unspoken. And I pray, Lord, that with each person that has shared desires and hopes that they would rely on you, they would trust in you, and that they would lean into your word, uh, to lean into your wisdom and your truth, so that we might be led in the way you would want us to go. We thank you for your promises of Scripture, your good and precious promises for your people. And now we ask, Lord, that we'd be reminded about what you have to say to us and how you stand behind those promises and why we can take solace in the fact that you are a good God and a God who is mighty not only to save, but to bring us to you one day. We love you, and we give you praise for it. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, throughout the letter of Hebrews, the writer has been wetting the appetite for the people. Why? Because he's wanted to remind them that to persevere... There's light at the end of the tunnel. To endure, there's good things that are going to come. Now these people, and we're going to learn later in the book, in the days and weeks to come, that these people were being beaten down and abused. They were losing their property. They were being thrown in jail. Uh, They were uh, losing out on family relationships because of their relationship with Jesus Christ. And the writer has said a couple different times, it's worth it. It is all worth it. Just endure, just persevere, and God's promises will come true. The problem is for the, writer, or for the people of Hebrews that we're being written to, and to us today, our faith begins to wane when we are waiting for a long period of time for those promises to come to fruition, Now some of the promises, just to give you an idea of what I'm talking about, start in chapter 1. Turn to your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 1 for a moment, verse 13. Promise 1 that comes is this promise that Jesus is going to do something. Because he is the greatest of all time. In verse 13, And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? This is God the Father speaking to God the Son. And he's talking about a time, a promise to the Son that I'm going to make your enemies a footstool. Well, the people of Hebrews are saying, but... But have we seen that happen yet in its fullness? Have we seen that transpire? It seems like we're the footstools. Seems like the trials and tribulations we face, they are what are winning the day. Where is Jesus at? How about in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 8? Hebrews chapter 2, verse 8, we are told the following. It says putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside of his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. And he stops there, and then he talks about how he was made a little lower than the angels. Wait a minute. I want the Jesus who's overseeing everything, who's in control of everything, where everything is in subjection to his feet. And the writer says, but we haven't seen that yet. And the Hebrews are sitting there saying, we want that time, we want that, where Jesus is victorious and it hasn't yet come in all fruition. How about Hebrews chapter 4, verse 11? Hebrews chapter 4, verse 11, in speaking about this rest that the children of Israel had not entered into, in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 11, let us therefore strive to to enter that rest. We want that rest. We want that ability and that place where we can live outside of the power and presence of sin. And we're not yet there yet. We're still striving. We're still toiling. We're still dealing with uh, our sinful nature, and we long for that time of rest. This is what the Hebrews are wanting. We're looking forward to these promises. How about Hebrews 5, verse 9? Hebrews 5, verse 9. It says the following. And being made perfect, speaking of Jesus, Jesus became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Well, where's our salvation? Where's this idea of being once and for all saved for all of eternity? When do we get to enjoy the great joys that come from eternal salvation? These were four statements of better things that the writer of Hebrews says from an earthly perspective, there's nothing to show for it in many ways. But from a heavenly perspective, God has got a plan and he's going to bring them about in his time. Now here's the problem. At the heart of the Hebrews and each and every one of us We deal with worry and anxiety because we're living in this place of tension between the promises of God being shared and the promises of God being fully fulfilled. And we're living in this tension, and the world says, Why are you doing all that you're doing for this God who's promised all these things, and they've never come to fruition? That's what we loved about last week's passage dealing with Simeon and Anna. They knew the promises of God, and they saw with their own eyes the promises of God being fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. So, what do we do in the meantime? What do we do when we're dealing in the dark year of our lives? The answer is we hope in God. We believe in this God who has better things for us. Now notice verses 10 through 12. What do we do in the meantime? In verses 10 through 12, for God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end. So that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who, through faith and patience, inherit the promises. How do we get from God promising us something and seeing its fruition? We are imitators of those who have gone before us, and we, very deliberately and very consistently and very um, faithfully, trust God to fulfill them. How do we do that? Write these three things down. We keep serving. Write them somewhere in your, in your outline there. I didn't put them in there. You keep serving, you keep loving, and you keep going. You keep serving, you keep loving, you keep going. I was talking to one of you in between services, and he says, when we are idle, that's when we start to complain, right? When we're idle, that's when we start to murmur, But when we're moving and we're active in our faith, then the murmuring and the complaining gets set off to the side. But what happens when we're serving, when we're loving, when we're going and we get tired? When a year like 2020 comes, what do we do? We begin to doubt. And the writer knew that doubt was there. And so notice what the writer does in our text this morning, verse 13. When God made promise, when he made a promise, So here we are, we know what God's promised for us, but but in the here and now, we've not seen the full realization of those promises coming to fruition. What do we do? Well, I want to remind you that God is at work. And he gives us three assurances of when he's at work. God is at work, my friends, even when it seems like it's taking too much time even when it seems like it's taking too much time. So notice, when God made a promise to whom? To Abraham. You want to talk about someone who had to wait? Abraham's a perfect example of having to wait. We know the story. Abraham's promise that God is going to make out of him a great nation. If you want to learn more about Abraham, you can see our series last year on the life of Abraham and what a life it was. God promises him something great, and it takes years, decades, for that to take place. But then God gives him a son, and not just one son, but a son who would be a son to a son to a son to a son, that he would be Abraham, a father of many nations, and a father of many sons that would outnumber the stars in the sky. But boy, did Abraham doubt when things didn't go his way, he took things into his own hands. He made horrific decisions in his life. And God was faithful as he, very uh, mess, in a messy way, tried to serve and honor God. God kept moving him from one place to another. Even amidst the, the great time of trial in his life, when he would put his own son Isaac on an altar, he had faith that God had a plan. You see, when God seemingly like takes more time, We're called to do something. Notice what it says. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. You know, so often we miss out on the good things of God because we're unwilling to wait. We're unwilling to wait. We think we've got to take things into our own hands. And God says, I want you to patiently wait. We hate waiting, amen? We hate waiting. We're terrible at waiting. But the Bible says that waiting does three things. Write these three things down. Waiting, first of all, forces us to relinquish control. Listen, you and I, we control nothing. We control nothing. My boys and I were watching a movie last night. It was one of those end-of-the-world movies. The asteroid was going to come and hit the world and cause the world to be extinct. One of my sons said, well, at least they've got it worse than we do. Okay? So that's what you do. You watch catastrophic movies just to make you feel better in 2020. And here's what I, I saw. People running for their lives, People running in fear. Why? Because uh, the, the director knew what the Bible's already taught us and that people are small, frail people. We're little in the grand scheme of things. We control such little of our lives. And so what what waiting does is it reminds us that no matter what we do or try to do, it's not going to affect the change that we think that it's going to. And so it causes us to let go of things and, and to give up on things that we held so dear. In 2020, we've had to give up on a lot of stuff, stuff that we thought was so dear and so important to our lives. We had to give up control and relinquish that control. Number two, it forces refinement. We see this in the life Of so many of the Old Testament saints, I think of Abraham who had to wait. I think of Noah who had to wait. I think of Moses and Joseph. All of these great men had to wait. The nation of Israel had to wait. Uh, One of the great themes of all of Scripture is God's people waiting. Why? Because holiness takes time in sinful people. And God does a work and he changes people little by little, moment by moment, day by day. And God's patient. The Bible says God is patient and he's long-suffering to give you and I the time to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so it causes refinement as we wait on him. We renew our strength. Why? Because we're more spirit-led than led by the flesh. Number three, It forces us to rely on him. Since we have no control, now we've got to look to the one who is in control. And so we turn to him and and we say, I I can't change it, but Lord, you can. I can't save my lost friends and neighbors and coworkers, but you can, and so I'm going to wait, and I'm going to pray, and I'm going to share, knowing that you've got a plan, Lord, and I'm going to trust that. We need to rely on him. Now, all of this waiting is used to cause us appreciation for what we are waiting for. And they're worth it. The better things that we're waiting for, even though it seems like it's taking too much time, God says, I have a plan. And just as I worked in Abraham's life, so I work in your life. Number two, don't give up or doubt when you think that God... Has thrown in the towel. Now, amidst this example of Abraham, the text tells us that God made an oath. Since he had no one greater, verse 13, by whom to swear, God swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. Now go down to verse 15. For people, verse 16, I'm sorry, for people swear by something greater than themselves. And in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So here's what God did. God says, I've got great plans for you, people of God. I'm going to watch over you. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to guide you. I'm going to lead you. I'm never going to forsake you. The one that began a good work in you is faithful to see it to completion. I'm going to do all these things. And he says, I swear to it on my own name. On my own reputation, I swear by it. Now, in Old Testament days and in the days of the Hebrews, people would make transactions swearing upon themselves. Two farmers would be trading animals, and maybe one hadn't been born yet. They're waiting for a calf to be born, and one would say, as as sure as I live, as sure as I am who I am, my name, that calf, when it's born, it's going to be yours. It's the trade that we made. I'm making an oath. You can believe me. Now, when a person made an oath, there were all kinds of variables. What happened if that person died? What if that person was lying when they made that oath? But with God, God made an oath. God doesn't die. And notice in the text, God doesn't lie either. Later in the text, he says God himself does not lie. And so the sweetener to the deal of what God has promised us are two truths. I don't change, and I don't lie. Now, the first thing, I don't change, is important because we live in a time where things change. On a trips a couple of years ago, I was in an Uber Uh, ride, and I was talking with the driver. He was of an African uh, descent, and he was talking about his time now in America. And I said, well, what do you love about America? And he gushed about America. And I said, is there anything you don't like? And which kind of was an awkward question, because, you know, why would you badmouth the place that you found so much good in? And he says, I've never been asked that before. And I said, well, you know, what can we do better? And he said, one thing. He said, you guys have elections too often. I was like, that's kind of strange. I said, what do you mean by that? He says, the world gets afraid when you guys have elections. I said, why? He said, because you guys are the, you're the kind of the center of the universe for the world. And and what happens is with each election, you change your mind, One time you're going this way and the next time you're going that way. We never know what the foreign policy of the United States is going to be because every four years it changes and that's scary. Aren't you glad that God doesn't change administrations? Aren't you glad that God doesn't say, you know what, people, my policy has changed, okay? I was all about love and joy and mercy. That's done. We got a new secretary of state. He says, kill you all. Aren't you glad that the one who promised, notice, has this unchangeable character? That his purpose hasn't changed? Joy to the world. Why? Because the earth has received her king. And that's not going to change. And we can have joy. And we can have peace on this earth because the God who promised is faithful to see that through. And then he says, listen, and if you wondered, if you've been around some Some swindlers in your life, I don't tell lies. This stuff is going to happen. And he uses Abraham as a reminder that even though it takes too long and even though it may seem too difficult for us, we want to throw in the towel, nothing is impossible for God. And so we have hope in the promises, the good things that are going to come, that God is going to see these things to fruition if we would only allow our gaze to not look at our own circumstances, but Christ and what he has promised us. Finally, don't doubt when you're being tossed around by trials. He goes on and he finishes this text and he says, all right, We who have fled for refuge. That doesn't sound like things are going too well, does it? We have run for our lives looking for safety. That's literally what is being said there. We are running for our lives for safety. And those that are running for their lives for safety... The writer says these things have been written. These promises have been given as a strong encouragement for them to hold fast to the hope set before us. Listen to me. The promises of God are sitting right before us. They're there. And what God says is take hold of them. The problem is, is when we're running for our lives for safety, seeking refuge, we forget about that which is hopeful, and what we need to do is we need to grab hold of something. But the question is, what do we grab a hold of? There's a lot of unknowns. I get it. I'm living where you're at. I'm a father of kids whose lives have been changed because of all this. I'm a business person whose business has changed because of this. I'm a pastor and I've seen how God's people have been affected through this. What in the world are we supposed to do as we turn the page from one bad year and it doesn't seem like things are going to get any better anytime soon? What do we do? We reach out our arms and we grab a hold of something. Well, the world reaches out and grabs nothing. But notice what the text says. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. There's something for us Christians to grab a hold of. And it is an anchor for our soul. It is what keeps the boat afloat during the storms. Well, what is that anchor? I want that material. What material is this anchor made out of? How heavy is this anchor? Tell me about it. This anchor, notice verse 20, is Jesus. Jesus is your, and he's my, anchor for the soul. And it's this Jesus who has gone before us. It's this Jesus who's addressed... All the issues that we need is this Jesus who now serves as our great high priest forever, who intercedes for us, who cares for us, who made sacrifice for us. This one who has taken care of our salvation is now taking care of all facets of our lives. This anchor for our soul is Jesus. So, my friends, what are you grabbing a hold of as the calendar turns the page? Are you putting your hope and trust in your job? Are you putting your hope and trust in a bright tomorrow? Are you putting your hope and trust in what happens in Washington? Are you putting your hope and trust in your willpower or ability? Brothers and sisters, And all of that will be for naught. What we put our hope and trust in is the anchor that is safe and secure for the soul, Jesus Christ, who is the greatest of all time. And my encouragement to us as a church is that we would grab hold of that. And not let go of that. And when trouble comes and disease comes our way and tribulation comes and and problems come, we are holding fast to the one who is promised, who never lies and who never changes. And we hold on to that. Why? Because not only will he save us in the present, but he has great and precious promises, great things to come for our future. Amen? And so let's grab a hold of that this week. Let's grab a hold of that this year. Let us devote ourselves to the word of God so that we will read these promises each and every moment of our day and not doubt and not be quick to give up and give in as the Hebrews were wanting to do, but to hold fast and run the race that was marked out for us with perseverance. And when we do, brothers and sisters, we will see the better things God has for us. So grab hold of them and trust God every step of the way and we will by faith make it to the end.